Today, I'm going to be talking with a seasoned real estate investor and a real estate broker who's been at it for over 40 years. Now, you know on this podcast, we talk a lot about real estate investing. So this, I've had Josh on who started in the industry just a few years ago. This is a seasoned, seasoned real estate expert in the small town of Blenheim, Ontario, who has nothing but amazing advice to share. Let's get started. Would you rather talk about your sex life or money life? Surprisingly, most people would rather not talk about money, how to save it or invest it. This podcast is about helping you simplify your money life. Delivered by Dr. Henry Joseph Speck, a psychologist by training, Henry is a seasoned investor with over 40 years of successful investing in real estate, stocks, and other alternate forms of income generation. Tune in to the twice-monthly podcasts to get his thoughts and tips on how to reach financial freedom. How to achieve the life you deserve. Now, here's Dr. Speck. So welcome to Straight Money Vice. I'm with Dave O'Brien. Dave is a real estate expert. He has a brokerage here in Blenheim, Ontario. Although Blenheim consists of about 100 plus thousand plus, he goes all over the place because his business is everywhere. He's been in real estate for over 40 years. If you want some advice or know something about real estate, he's the guy. So because we talk a lot about real estate at Shrink Money Vice, this is the guy I wanted on the show. So here's Dave. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Henry. How, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good, thanks. So why don't you tell us how you got into real estate in the first place? Well, it's a pretty simple story. When I was in high school, uh, grade 12, I was uh, 17 years old, about to turn 18, when a local broker approached me and said, uh, I've signed you up for the real estate uh, course. And it starts next week. And unbeknownst to me, I had no clue anything about it. But uh, he had paid the money and said uh, he wanted me to go to work for him. So I turned 18 the next week because you had to be 18 to take the course. And uh, it's all been uphill since then. So you've never, you didn't have like a passion to be a real estate guy. I had no idea when I come out of grade 12, I registered for grade 13. Yeah. Uh, I had no knowledge about the real estate business, and back in Blenheim in those days, it was kind of low key, and yeah. the average sale price was twenty nine nine, twenty seven five, and there wasn't a lot of money in it at that point. Yeah. But there wasn't a lot of, of people in the business either, so I got in at the ground floor, and and this fellow, he was an older gentleman uh, who had just moved to town actually, and uh, I don't know what he saw in me, but he got me started, and that's forty four years ago. So. Uh, did you watch agriculture growing up? What did your folks do for a living? What was well? When I was a kid, I worked on the farm, mostly agricultural. You know, okay. in tobacco, and you know, did a lot of hoeing, just the labor chores. Yeah. But you know, everybody did that around here because that was the only job for kids: detasseling corn, etc. So the so the guy hires you. How long did you work for him before you went on your own? Well, I started with him in 1975, and he was an independent, which means at that time he was a non-MLS broker. Oh, so, so you had MLS back then too? Well, the MLS board was here in Chatham and okay. at that time. And it was only two years that I joined a, a brokerage that was a member of the Chatham-Kent Real Estate Board, and which had the MLS service. And I always kind of compute that to working in the closet for two years. And then finally, when I joined the MLS board, you get access to all the listings. And I was like the whole new life yeah, yeah, yeah. of real estate because you're yeah. exposed to more listings and more activity. But So obviously you liked it or was it like a lot of us, you do a job because you got to pay bills or did you love it? 
at the beginning? Well, when I was younger, I was on my own. I didn't have to support a family. So you'd have one good year, three bad years, and then you'd have another good year and two bad years, which was back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, when the interest rates were running 19, mm. 20, 21, 22. And mortgage rates were running 22% then. And, of course, at that time, fortunately, the prices were 29.9, 32.9, and the average sale price was still quite low. So... When the rates got up that high, we weren't selling anything except for the properties that were either foreclosed because if you had a mortgage and you took it out, let's go back to 75 or 74 and it came for renewal in 79 or 80 and the rate went from at that time maybe 8 or 9 percent to 19 or 20, your payments doubled. So a lot of people were losing their homes and we were selling a few of those but not very many sales. So uh, it was a tough go. So. At that time, it wasn't like you had an opportunity to get a job at a factory or maybe on a farm, but this was something that I could maybe stick with because I was single until I went on my own in 1984, and then for me, the business kind of exploded then. So you, when did you become a broker? Uh, I was a broker in 1983, opened my office in 84, which now is 35 years so ago. So what was the commission back when you started? Was it five points? Oh, it's always been five. It's, always been, it's five. always been five, but it's always negotiable. It's right. not written in stone that right. it's exactly 5%. Like today, if I'm going to list a lot and, and some of the lots around here are 29.9, I'm not going to do it for, you know, 5% because you got more time tied up in some of these lot sales than you do in an actual house sale. So when you when you look at the real estate business, how do you market? Like you know a lot of people. People are just going to come because you've been here for forty years and they know. But well, the whole business has changed so much since the internet has come. And and years ago it was all print advertising. We spent a lot of money in local newspapers, uh, Chatham Kent newspapers. And then back in those days, I used to advertise in the Globe and Mail, and I'd use the National Edition for. If I had a commercial property or a higher-end property. Wow, the Globe. Eh? I used the Golden Mail wow. and National Edition, which in that time you got lots of calls. But sure. nowadays, if you if you go with that type of uh, advertising, you don't get any calls because everybody's using the Internet, the websites for Realtor.ca, which is the number one driver to bring the people to this community of Chatham, Canada, the Realtor.ca. That's still MLS, basically. And that's all the MLS sites. That's you think anything thing. will ever replace it because there's all that other... Well, right now, of course, we always say that that would never work then, and of course now it's it's working, but I don't know how we could ever improve that system. I mean, it's it's quick, it's fast, it's it's reliable, and that's why Chatham-Kent is getting the influx of out-of-town people moving here is because of the access to the properties, and also because we still have one of the lowest average resale prices in the country. So what do you think, because uh, this is about investing, what do you think of real estate as an investment? Forget your house, what about the investment side? Where, where do you think that's going? Well, in, in Chatham-Kent, of course, the uh, the commercial end of it, uh, it's not a big portion of our business. Like most of the realtors in Chatham-Kent are 95% residential. There might be the odd salesperson or brokerage that does a little bit of commercial, but if you had to rely on the commercial activity in Chatham-Kent, you probably wouldn't be able to make that great a living. You have to really blend it with, with everything. What about for the investor side? So if someone wanted to buy, say, a duplex and do the landlord thing around here, what are your thoughts on that for this area? Well, the duplex, the threeplex, has always been an avenue for a person who wants to try to make some money. And years ago, the prices were reasonable for the duplexes, and the biggest problem then was 
the amount of money you had investment and then collecting the rents and you don't always get the rents and in the end you hope the appreciation of the property has moved up substantially so when you do sell you can make some money on it and it does happen but it's it's a type of an investment that's a lot of work not like buying a commercial building where you got a good commercial tenant and, you know the rent usually is coming in pretty good but uh, so you'd rather do commercial <coughs> office well because you've got some properties right you well, got some... yeah but there's still not a lot of uh, there's still not a lot of it uh, in the business the percentage is still pretty low so still when you get listings or when I get listings it's still going to be 90% residential and then a mix of agricultural or commercial for the balance like of the 10% or the 5% and so if you were starting today would you invest in real estate absolutely oh it's it's on long term it's always been so what would you room. buy what would you buy forget your house personal house because I don't consider that an investment right but. well everybody's got to have a house you know? yeah but you, until you die you don't you can't sell it and live under a bridge because you, you can't get the investment well, no, back, but and still, it doesn't pay you every month or anything. If you could invest, <laughs> if you could invest in the uh, in the duplex, the threeplex, you got to have a good uh, a good work after, uh, ethic for that because you're going to be getting calls at all times of the night. So like it's not like you got a 50 unit building with a property manager. But if you're a young person, number one, the banks don't look at that the same as they do for a personal. What do you uh, think presence. of banks, Dave? <laughs> well, the banks really, to me, aren't in the the lending business for anything but the, the private sector where you're going to buy your own house. And, of course, they get the appraisal to make sure it's worth that money. But when a, a younger person wants to buy a commercial property or multifamily unit, the banks really aren't in favor of that because everybody thinks they can come in with 5 or 10% and buy those properties, and you can't. No. You've got to have a good down payment. You've got to be prepared to pay a little bit more money on it. And you've got to be sharpen your pencil and make sure that it's going to pay off when you get into it. So the banks seem to really like the T4 people. If you've got to, and you want to buy your own house. So if you've got a job and a salary and it's, it's all written down, they'll give you a mortgage for your house probably. But when it comes to creative investing, I mean, the one thing we've learned, for example, banks now, they've always had it, but now they seem to have an arbitrary number. So if you buy four, four residential investment properties on the fifth one, they'll say, well, you're now commercial. You say, well, it's still a residential building. No, you've got too many. Now we consider you all kinds of ways to get more money out of you. Right. Where if you're buying your own house. So how do young people get financing in this community or any community? Well, if you're a, a young entrepreneur and you want to get into the commercial end of it, uh, they still, meaning the buyer, thinks that they can go to the bank with 10% down. So let's use a $200,000 commercial property, and they think, well, I've got 10% down, which is 20000 bucks, And for a young person, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And then they go to the bank, and the bank says, well, we're really not in the business of loaning in the commercial end of it. We might go 50-50. In some cases, it might be 60-40. But still, you're going to need to have a lot more than 10% down, or even what some people think is 5% down. So and, could I buy one for two hundred grand around here? Oh, for sure. Blenheim, you can still buy commercial property for $200,000. Well, what kind? Because just off the top of well, your head. Well, you can buy a property on the main street for a retail end or even a small manufacturing. We've sold lots of little 5,000, 6,000, 10,000 square foot uh, industrial properties. Can I get a duplex for two hundred grand? Oh, you could get a duplex for two hundred for sure. What kind of cash flow do you think for two hundred? Well, our rents right now are still moderate. So if you're looking at a duplex... Depending on the condition of the building, you might get eight, nine hundred dollars a month for each side. So, if you're bringing in, say, eighteen hundred dollars a month, and your taxes aren't that high, and your expenses aren't that high, and if you get a good tenant, you've got a good property. 
Okay. So so is that how you invest? Do you have properties? What do you do with your dough? How do you? <laughs> well, <laughs> since, yeah, well, this is a podcast. I asked this question well, to after everybody. 40, after 45 years of being in the business and being <laughs> in the landlord business, uh, I've kind of shifted the other way a little bit. And uh, You're a GIC bond guy? You went no, way over to conservative? Not really. Well, GIC bond, what's that, 2%? One, yeah. One and a half. So what, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody tries the stock market, but that doesn't work That's either. tough. So it can be tough. Yeah, I really would have been wise just to put it into uh, to, to real estate because real estate over the last 50 years has proven to be the number one vehicle to invest your money. So is that your number one thing, real estate, personally? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And are, are you doing residential, commercial? What's your thing? Well, in my business... It's almost a conflict of interest to really compete with, say, a potential buyer. Sure. Yeah. A lot of buyers think that if you're in the business, you shouldn't be purchasing maybe a property that they want. So my business right now is try to make the customers happy, sell them the property, let them make some money on it, let them come back to me so that when they want to resell it, like I can sell it for them and hopefully they've made some money, they're happy. I'm, I say we're in the happy business. So it's hard It's hard to really do a lot of it yourself because it's seen as a conflict or people get upset or that kind of thing. Well. And it's a small town. Yeah, they, they always say, yeah, the, the brokers are the first guys they go in and try to buy the, the nice property. I don't think that's trade. true. No, but I don't do that. I'm trying to stay away from it. Okay, all right. And, and when it comes to real estate itself, how do you see the trend? Because we're in a small rural community. How is the trend in small town Canada, do you think? Well, our town is very fortunate right now because we're attracting people from the east we're attracting people from the west and a lot of from the north too we've got the best climate in canada right here we're the most southern point it's cold it's snowing today buddy well it's snowing today but i always say <laughs> if, if i said to you henry buy a house here it doesn't snow next year we'll get three feet we'll get three feet yeah so you know we have a little bit better although climate. it's january we've only had one snowfall yes we have one snowfall and uh and it's what, gone and what much. the retirees like about blenheim they can come to Blenheim, buy a house, and, and everything's here. They can get a reasonable priced houses. The only objection we have in Chatham-Kent is that sometimes the out-of-towners come here, they sell a house for 400 maybe 500 and they say, why are your taxes so high in Chatham-Kent? Because we just sold a house for four or 450 and the house that you're selling me for 200000 has got the same tax base. Well, we just don't have the people or the population if we're going to have the expenses that we've got in this municipality, we we have to support that, and that's why our taxes are a little on the higher side. So what's the biggest barrier today to investing in this area? Well, there's not a lot of investment property, but when you're talking about purchasing a home here, our biggest objection is the property tax. Property taxes. So if you're young starting out, what would you do? If you were like that same 20-year-old guy that you were in whenever, blah, 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 how would you how would you start today? What would you do? Well, it's pretty hard for a young guy to get started today. Number one, we just talked about getting into the mortgage business. And if you're in business by yourself or for yourself, again, trying to get a mortgage, it's not like getting a T4 and a paycheck every week because if you're on your own and you're an entrepreneur, you got to have some serious backing or have a lot of money to back up what you're trying to borrow against. It's tough. In your, in your investment career, what was your worst mistake? Well, I don't think I had any worse mistakes. Uh, I don't think. I, I, don't I have. Think I've had a few I talk well, about, but you know, you always buy a property maybe, and you think it's going to double overnight, but that doesn't happen. But it's more of a long-term thing. Like so, buy, without too many details, what was the issue that made it a not good investment? I don't think I can really say I really had a real bad. You kill me! You've come on, not one. 
Well, I've owned this building for 35 years. Well, this years. has been great, though. This is your business. Well, it's my business. I get to work out of it. And I used to have two apartments upstairs, but I took them out of commission. And uh, I had a rental property next door. And, of course, you know, it's been vacant for a couple of years. But uh, overall, this hopefully this will be. It's like when you buy these buildings, you're hoping that it'll be kind of like a retirement. Because in our business, we don't have a right. a pension plan or any retirement What's plan. stopping you from uh, doing the apartments? Because those could be nice apartments. Yeah, well, I used to get a decent rent of them when I first bought the building, and then uh, when the tenants don't pay, becomes a liability, and then the taxes on that portion of the building were just getting to the point where I was paying as much taxes as I was collecting rent. So you think you could overbuild? Like, if you turn one of those units into, like, an amazing loft kind of apartment with, you know, stainless steel appliances, granite countertops, just killed the thing. Would it be hard to rent for the price you oh, deserve? Oh, no, it would, it would rent for sure. Uh, this is a downtown building, which is two-story. Right. Without an elevator, you're not going to get, you know, a senior couple right. or a senior person. Right. It would be better if it was main floor, and we sure need more of those uh, apartments in Blenheim right now. So if you were, i got to ask this one, I, I've got to ask this one other question that I ask some people. If if someone had, say, three, four, five hundred grand to invest in real estate, say, say that's what they had. Can you break it down into what you would do with your background? What would you tell them to do with that? Well, in Blenheim, right now, your your best investment is single-family homes. If you can get in, if the average price is two hundred, if you get three or four of them that were in the one forty, one fifty range, yep, put a little bit of money into yep. them, make them nice. You can resell them fairly quickly, or you could rent them for a pretty good buck. So you could have a cash flow, you think? And you could get a good cash flow because right now we have no rentals. The vacancy rate wow. is virtually zero. So that hundred and fifty thousand dollar house, if you fix it up, say you put ten grand into it and you fix up the kitchen a little bit, and make it make it nice. It's like a B. Let's say it's a B minus. So it's not right. great. It's yep, not bad. Sure. And it, there's no varmints or rodents nope, or anything. Nope. What kind of rent? You think in a thousand a month? Oh, plus? you could probably get twelve hundred plus utilities. Plus utilities. That's right. So so that's a pretty good return. That's a pretty good return. So if you had three of those units at twelve hundred, yeah, thirty six hundred. A month coming in. And you get your mortgage if and you stuff. Can manage it, yeah. If you got a mortgage, well, you, I think you said if you had four hundred thousand, yeah, there you cash, go. <laughs> See, but, he's paying more attention than I so am. So let's put five hundred grand in the in a yeah. GIC at two percent. What are you going to get? Ten. Well, the problem is, you then you got to pay the taxes on You're that. You're going to get ten thousand bucks a year. Then you get it. five thousand bucks. That's only eight hundred dollars a month. So you take that same, invest it into the three residential properties, and you're going to get. $3,600 a month out of it. So if you didn't have the 500 grand, how much could you you think a bank? Let's say let's say you had 100 grand. Could you get a bank, you think, to give you the money for the other four if you're a young person starting today? I would doubt it. Really? I really doubt it. I find that sad. Well, that's just the bank's position. Like It the, didn't used to be, though. No, the leverage now, they want to be sure that their investment is protected. Like with, When they're advancing that money, they mm. want to know that the, the percentage of the leverage of the portion of the amount is not going to be 5 or 10%. So if you're a non-occupied property, which means it's not your principal residence, you're going to have to put down substantially more on each property. Well, let me ask you another bank question, because we did a whole whole uh, show on this stuff. Banks seem to tell you that they think we're going to have this relationship and we're going to you know, get all close and everything. But some of us think it's kind of like soybeans. The price is the price. Forget the relationship, because it doesn't make any difference. It's all about numbers, and what's your opinion on that whole relationship versus it's just a commodity like soybeans? Well, the banks, really, when I first started, the banks weren't in the mortgage business, and I used to have three or four fellows that were in town, mostly retired farmers, 
And I'd call them up and say, look, I got a buyer, say like Henry, and he's buying his first yep. house. Yep. And I, at that time, the average price was twenty nine nine, and and I could go to those guys and get. A, I'd say, well, do you, if you got thirty grand, we'll we'll give the guy the the mortgage for thirty. He can buy the house for twenty nine nine or twenty nine thousand. Help him get started. And so nothing time, down, basically. Right, and at that time, they were charging between ten and twelve percent. The banks really weren't in the mortgage business. And when I bought this building, even in nineteen eighty six. It's a commercial mortgage, and I went to the local banks. None of them were interested in giving me a mortgage. So at that time, I had to go to a trust company, and I was just a young guy then. I was maybe in my late 20s, early 30s, and uh, the deal was about to close, and they had said they would go 60-40. I'd go 40 down, they'd go 60. week before close, they come back and said, uh, we've changed our mind, we want 50-50. So oh, I had to man. come up with another 10% down, on a commercial property like this, but the banks really at that time are, were not interested. You're talking about a relationship. They weren't interested in doing that. What were weren't. the rates back then when you bought this? Uh, the commercial rates were running about 12% then. Do you ever think we'll see 10 again? Mm, gee, I hope not. I hope not. It's going to be bad news because with the average resale price now, not so much Blenheim, but you get outside of this community where it's 500, 800, or what they're saying in the GTA, you get a million dollars at 10%. It's not the same as a mortgage at 3.9 or 3.8, or even last year where you're getting it under three. You're talking about triple the payments. So it's encouraging that you say a young person today, if they could find the, the, the wealth or the dough, that if they could buy two or three or four houses and rent them out, they'd do well. I they could really, buy groceries and live. Oh, and, sure. And I really think that we're those young guys that can do that, they have to do the work themselves. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Like you can't go in and buy that one hundred and fifty or $140,000 property and then hire contractors to come in and do it for you. You, like, you yep. need to do a lot of the yeah. things yourself. I mean, it's so expensive now. I mean, it's just simple. When you hire an electrician and a plumber and you know have everything redone, you're going to be behind the eight ball. So last couple of questions. I want to ask you about private lending because you mentioned that that kind of helps young people today. If, if you were to do private lending, what do you look for? in a, Is it the person or the property or the reason? Well, like, you've got to you... look at both, really, because the property, you know, when you look at 150 or even less, because we do have the properties that are less than that, which out-of-towners can't believe you can still buy a house in Blenheim yeah. or Chatham-Kent for less than 150 uh, hopefully, unless the market really collapses and we get into a real depression, that investment's always going to be solid. But the person borrowing, you've got to be sure that he's got the ability to repay that back. Definability, what do you mean? Work ethic, or are you talking well, money? The ability, well, this is the money. Yeah, this, right, this, he has to have the ability to repay that loan. And when you talk about private lenders, really, and we've talked about this before, there's not that many guys that are in it anymore. So it's not like back in the day where you like called the farmer the and you said... Yeah, I remember one time I had uh, three buyers and they all needed a mortgage. And I went to one of the old farmer guys. I said, I need three fifties, meaning 50000 He said, great, I'll just go to the bank today because I've got 30 other mortgages out and i got nothing coming in. I'll just go to the bank, borrow that 150 and you just tell the people we're all set, I'll give them the 50 And at that time it was running about 12 or between 10 and 12%. And it was simpler times then when they didn't look at the financial statement, they just looked at the property and said, okay, I think I'm good with it. And I, I don't remember having many or any 
repossessions or foreclosures, as you say, with the private lender going in. Number one, the price was fairly reasonable. If the guy had a job or the person had a job, they could make the payment. Most of those payments were running four or five hundred bucks a month. And those guys now, where I kind of helped them out back then, now that same house that they bought from me 20 or 30 years ago for 50, now is 150 or 200. And they've made some good investments back in those days. But without that private lender, they wouldn't have got in that market at all. So final comment question I have for you is, if you do a private mortgage with someone, and let's say you have to foreclose, technically, I think, don't they have to... Doesn't the building have to be sold? You can't just you don't just come in and take over the building. You have doesn't it have to be sold by law and then you Well you can go you can go power of sale or you can foreclose, which is basically the same thing. So you would then own the building or does it well, go? Well when you go power of sale, then you're basic once the uh, the borrower is three months behind, you can take the action to, to take possession of the property, put it up for sale. You have to put it up for sale. Usually that's the course. The recourse is put it up for sale, and if there's a deficiency in the amount that was owed and what you sold it for, technically you can go and try Can to... the guy buy it who put the mortgage out on it? Well, where's he going to get the money? It's the... No, no, I mean the, the, the lender. Can he take possession no, of the property? No, no, no. You're talking about a private lender. You're right. Well, you could. You know, and maybe it's it's probably run down at that point in time, and he could put some money into it, fix it up, and then try to resell it, which... In a lot of cases, the private guys do. The banks, they do it an entirely a different way. They hire a, a lawyer out of Toronto or a firm out of Toronto. They spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. So whatever the amount was that the borrower owed, it ends up being ten or fifteen thousand more in the end result than what was the mortgage because of the expenses they've got to go through that power of sale procedure. Do you ever get involved in those? Uh, we sell them. I don't get involved with buying them, no. No, I meant selling them. Yeah, like as far as a yeah. uh, real estate brokerage. Yeah, yeah, get, we, yeah. Well, a good part of our business used to be foreclosures. When the market's down and the foreclosures are there, you've got to, you've really got to take them, but they're a lot of work too. Yeah. They okay. are. Any final thoughts before I let you go? Well, over the last 45 years, I think uh, the real estate business has been great for me. And it's, it, it, we really need some more younger people to come in because uh, right now at age 62, I'm still one of the youngest people in the business. A lot of people retire from their job, whether it be a school teacher, factory worker, municipal employee. They all say, well, I'm going to get into real estate when I retire. And they're still a little bit older, but we need to get some more young people in, more energetic and there's a good opportunity for a person who wants to uh, to work at this business to make a good living, but also be able to withstand the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, and the fact that the end result is you better be saving some money or you won't be able to retire like me probably till I'm, <laughs> who knows. Another five years, I'll be in the business for 50 years. Wow. Well, thank you, Dave. Dave O'Brien from O'Brien Real Century, Century 21. Century 21 O'Brien. Got to say that first, Century 21 O'Brien, for your advice. Dave's always here for advice. It's the barbershop, so I could, whenever I have trouble, I come in and he helps me out with real estate and other matters. So I want to thank you for listening to Shrink Money Advice. Uh, we'll be speaking again next week about some topic, interviewing other people in the community. If you have any questions for Dave or interested in investing, just make sure you uh, just Google uh, O'Brien Century 21 O'Brien Real Estate, Blenheim, Ontario. His door is always open. Uh, six days a week. Six, yeah, six days a week. And there's always, you know, always willing to give advice and help you out. So it's a great place to start if you're an investor or a person with a lot of experience. Okay. Thanks. Have a great one. All right. Thank you, Henry. Watch us, we Google, we Google.
You have been listening to the Shrink Money Advice podcast with Dr. Henry Joseph Speck. Remember to pick up your copy of Dr. Speck's latest book, Shrink Money Advice, on Amazon.ca or the audio version at awesound.com. That's A-W-E sound.com. 